0: Welcome back to another episode of the No Vertical Podcast with your hosts Alex and Billy. Today on the podcast we're going to be discussing St. John's big victories over Marquette and Georgetown, um, Syracuse's win at the Dome, and Buffalo's continued ability to win on the road. So first up in the podcast we're going to bring up St. John's. So as we all know, St. John's, you know, had that lost to Seton Hall on a very controversial call, which we didn't really get to talk about because, you know, we kind of weren't able to get a podcast in over the holidays, which we apologize for. Mm-hmm. Um, so St. John's went on to beat Marquette at Carna Seca Arena, and I think a big takeaway from that game was their ability to limit second chance opportunities. They were able to uh, out. I wouldn't say out rebound. I think it was a pretty even margin when it come, when it came to rebounding. Mm-hmm. But when you look at the size difference of the of those two teams, Marquette clearly has the advantage on the glass and St. John's was able to curb and and limit the big guys in the Hauser brothers as well as Theo John. Those were guys that, you know, allowed Marquette to get that victory over Buffalo earlier in the year and I think that was a huge uh, way to curtail their offense especially on a night where Marcus Howard wasn't shooting as well as we know he can. Right, yeah. Um, You know, I think it was a great effort out of St. John's. They had a balanced scoring through all five starters. Um, They were all in double figures. The only thing that, uh, you know, I think Marquette really didn't play their potential on that game was the three-point shooting. But uh, overall, I mean, really didn't have that bad of a game. St. John's was just able to really contain them on defense. You know, they had that mm-hmm. swarming defense coming out of uh, Clark, Simon Pons, all switching off, even uh, Heron switching off onto Marcus Howard, making him feel uncomfortable, and having to jack up shots from deep during that game, as well as, you know, putting pressure on the Hauser brothers. Uh, I don't I don't remember which one it was, but one of them got into foul trouble pretty much the entire game, and it really limited his opportunity uh, to get into the game. So, you know, by doing that, they kind of did what Buffalo wasn't able to do, mm-hmm. and I I was really surprised at how well they were able to shut down that team.
1: Yeah, uh, you uh, and I were talking about it, and you said that the foul trouble seemed to play a, play a role in it, and um, anytime you have somebody that's a power scorer, like Marcus Howard, not playing well, that's going to be a tough tough out for anybody uh to go up against a
0: very good to share exactly and uh pretty much what i really liked to see throughout that game was you know the ability to share the ball it wasn't all Pons. now Pons had a great game don't get me wrong but he was able to share it. Mm-hmm. All five starters were involved. The only thing that I will critique St. John's on in that game was the lack of the bench use. Um, they really, mm-hmm. they really utilized a lot of the starters to play a lot of minutes. You know, it was C.D.K. his first game back, so they had him come off the bench. He got nine minutes in that game, and I think that was smart. You know, you don't want to put in a guy right off the bat like that who is coming off of an injury, you know, to get excessive minutes. Mm-hmm. I think they could have used, utilized him a little bit more. But overall, you know, it's pretty hard to critique a 20-point win over a ranked opponent. Right. So moving on to the Georgetown game that they had, and I I honestly thought I was going to go to the hospital during this game just because of the, the <laughs> sheer stress on my heart throughout this entire matchup mm-hmm. that went into overtime down in D.C. So the, my first takeaway was just – the facts about this game. So St. John's has not won a game down in D.C., Alex, since 2003, mm-hmm. back when Marcus Hatton was leading the Red Storm. Jeez. And it just so happened that this victory came on Coach Lou Carnesecca's 94th birthday. So great birthday present for him and a big yeah. shout-out
1: to, to, uh, to
0: Coach. So <laughs> the, the start of this game, you know, was lackluster. It looked like it was going to get out of him pretty quick. Georgetown jumped up to an 11-point lead. And then Pons really kickstarted the offense, and he saw the opportunity to take over the game, and he did just that. You know, it, I think it was an opportunity for Pons to try to put his foot down. You know, he he's been playing a mm-hmm. lot of, uh, he's been looking to share the ball a lot, which is great out of a point guard, and it's great out of someone looking to get into the NBA at his size. So I think that's mm-hmm. why he's been taking that role in this offense. But he's also shown that when he needs to put his foot down, he can. So. That was a huge lift to the team. And then also the bench play, which I was just critiquing from the Marquette game, how Mullen really didn't utilize the bench all that often. Mm-hmm. He saw the opportunity to get guys like Trimble, guys like C.D. Cata, and Greg Williams into the game, and they were the spark that this team needed. And that that is something that we haven't seen out of St. John's previously, the past, you know, really any season under Mullen's tenure. So that was very, mm-hmm. very interesting to see. How they were able to ignite this offense because the starters were, weren't getting it done outside of Pond and Simon to start this game. Right. Um, another big takeaway from this game was just you know the defensive prowess of this team. They can swarm you like no other. It, it almost kind of looks like West Virginia out there where they'll they'll try and trap you at any given moment, and they they have the good ability. Like I, I'm assuming this is coming from Mullen and from Mitch Richmond bringing that NBA you know, style defense where they'll kind of allow bigs to think they have a nice, easy roll to the lane, you know, being guarded by a smaller guy. But then they swarm Mm -hmm. on bigs such as Jesse Govan, um, who is trying to roll to the hoop. And, Mm -hmm. I mean, the play of CDK to down low has been something that has really plagued St. John's the past few years. And, you know, the 6'9 big man, finally healthy, he, he turned it on. I mean, Govan still dropped 25 points, but he easily could have gotten to 40 wow. if, if right. uh, the play of Cato wasn't there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they were able to keep their composure throughout the game. Big minutes from guys like Trimble, who had the game of his life while off the bench, I'd say, for St. John's. <laughs> and that, all that was enough to keep them in the game. Now, you have to also remember, Mac McClung didn't play in this game. So, this was St sure. John's at pretty much full strength, and I'll get to why it was pretty much full strength in a minute, but McClung wasn't on the court, and he's a big weapon for Georgetown, so it would have been interesting to see if he was involved in their offense if they would have been able to you know maybe do a little bit more in regulation to prevent the overtime from occurring sure. but i mean from from what I've seen, akinjo is a great point guard and he's going to be a threat going forward in the Big East. Uh, obviously, Govan is probably one of the best, like, true fives in the game right now. Mm-hmm. It, it, St. John's were able to handle them, and they showed resilience on the road. They didn't give up the fight, and, you know, like I said, this is something that we haven't seen under Mullins' tenure ever with this squad. So I, it was a huge, encouraging note, and I wouldn't be surprised to see the Johnnies ranked in this upcoming uh, AP poll in the USA Today poll on Monday.
1: Yeah. Um I I obviously didn't watch that game, but from just looking at some of the stats and looking at how the game kind of shook out, it looks like the presence of Mac McClung was definitely a miss for Georgetown. He's a big time scorer. He's able to stretch the floor and he's able to do a lot of things off the bounce, which not saying that The rest of their team is unable to do, but with someone that is as athletic as Mac McClung, you're always going to miss that extra weapon out there. But um, to touch on the the St. John's being ranked, I did a little bit of research looking into the on ESPN, looking into some of the polls. I think they do AP and coaches poll, and it looks like St. John's. Is only getting one vote from in each of those right now. Yeah,
0: that that was previously. So that was that was coming off the the same right. ball loss. Yeah, so that was right, right,
1: right. So I'm expecting them to get up into a higher amount of um, votes, but we'll see if
0: they keep disrespecting St. John's because it seems like that's how the trend is going right now. And the one point that I will make in defense of St. John's for this upcoming poll is uh, there was at least three or four teams, I believe, between you know, 18 to 25 that lost this week, so right, that's true. only going to hurt those teams and improve St. John's ability to get votes. Plus, I think the manner to which they were able to win against Marquette is going to really solidify their spot, at least the top 25. You know, so right. I, I'm, in my opinion, I think this is going to be the week we finally see the Red Storm breakthrough onto the the AP poll. So moving forward just to quickly talk about, you know, some of the things that we have going on with this team. Similarly what what we're going to touch on later with Syracuse, Shamori Ponds has been unreal this year. I mean, the guy mm-hmm. is definitely making a name for himself for the National Player of the Year award as well as, you know, of course, the Big East Player of the Year. I don't see him being surpassed as if we were to vote at this moment in time, I'm saying Shamori Pons is the Big East player of the year. Powell is going to put up a bit of a fight as well as Howard in terms of stealing away some votes, but I don't see how you, anyone could vote over Shamori Ponds at this point in time with right. the way that you know, he is utilizing this offense, the way that he has been able to change up his game. It, it's been really remarkable. I mean, the kid's a, a bona fide mm-hmm. bucket getter, if you will. Um, right. The one thing, though, that has been a little bit inconsistent on this team in terms of you know NBA talent is Mustafa Heron's play. There's at times where he looks like, you know, a stud. He clearly is physically capable of taking over games and he has the body to be a shooting guard in the NBA without a doubt. But the problem is I don't see that, that fire that Shimori Pons displays. And I think that mm-hmm. if Mustafa Heron isn't able to demonstrate like his true ability, I mean the kid can drive all day, he can shoot outside. He just doesn't show that He has the ability to dominate a game like Shimori Pons can. And I think that's what's going to stand out to NBA scouts. And unless he can really show that throughout Big East play and into the tournament and whatnot, I don't know if he's, you know, if it's really that wise for him to leave right away, like everyone anticipates, you know. Um, So those are my thoughts on it. I mean, I, I like I said we're gonna to touch on this a little bit later with Syracuse and Battle and Brissett and where they're projected right now. But mm-hmm. I, I I don't know. I as of right now I would say it only makes sense for Pons to leave in terms of draft stock.
1: Yeah. That's you know, it's just everybody gets into all the hype and talk thinks I think a lot of people think more often about their preseason hype than they do their during season and after season hype um, when they're going into making that decision. But hopefully he'll be able to listen to what people are saying. Maybe he'll come out and not sign with an agent. So he's able to come back,
0: but we'll see. Yeah. And that's, that's what he did last year coming out of Auburn. Right. Right. So I think that would be a great option for him to exercise again this year. But I think Ponds, if you're Ponds, this is your year to make it. This is, this is your year to go. Mm -hmm. And, So, lastly, what I want to touch on with St. John's is recruiting. So, ordinarily, you know, for any big time program, landing a four star recruit is a big deal, but it's not something to, Mm -hmm. you know, have a whole big breaking news story about it. For St. John's to be able to land a four star recruit coming out of, you know, currently he plays in Connecticut, but coming out of Far Rockaway, Queens, which is, you know, not far from where St. John's is located over on Utopia and Union. It's actually, like, remarkable that they were able to do this considering their current method of recruiting, we'll say, in going through the JUCO Mm -hmm. and transfer market. And this is something that St. John's has previously lost out on. The last great recruit that they had out of high school was probably Shamori Ponds. So for them to be able to get into this market like that, it speaks wonders for what winning has done for this program this year and their ability to... Curtail the talent leaving New York City, which is something that's plagued the area for a long time. Especially when you look recently at Cole Anthony leaving uh, my alma or Archbishop Malloy in search of, you know, Oak Hill, which has a more notorious program. You know, they've cranked mm-hmm. out plenty of NBA recruits. So to be able to, for for Mullen to see the opportunity in, in local talent and keep it home, I think that's huge. And it's not just Mullen doing that. Obviously, you have coach. Matt Abdomassi, who doesn't get enough credit for that. But mm-hmm. adding that piece is, speaks wonders for what this, this year has done for this program. And I think going forward, hopefully that is the trend. While simultaneously adding him, Mikey Dixon decides to transfer. Which, you know, kind of baffles me at this point. Because you have the backup point guard spot solidified for the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. He decides to transfer after the spring semester, you know, officially starts. So he has to sit out the rest of this year and all of next year, wherever he goes. Right. So I'm I'm still perplexed about this. Like, obviously, Greg Williams was cutting into his playing time, which is obviously, you know, a fear that any person coming off the bench has for any program. But to leave. Me, after that cutoff date to where you'd be eligible to you know sit out this semester sit out next fall and play next spring it, it, i i really don't understand it i mean i i've never seen anything like it at least yeah in that's my recollection i don't know about you but
1: no that's a that's a pretty unique situation that's going on there um definitely not something that you're going to see regularly but you know I think that when people decide to do these things, sometimes they're just rash decisions, and they're not thinking about the implications down the road and what it could mean for um, not only like playing time, but when you're able to play again. So, who knows what's going on
0: behind the curtain? You know? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it's it might have been a thing of just you know him overreacting potentially to mm. having to play for a spot that he maybe took for granted. Or maybe it was, you know, a family thing. Who really knows, like, what could have been going through his mind at the time. I've heard rumors that there was a little bit of, you know, maybe animosity there between him and the coaching staff. So maybe, you know, he felt the environment was toxic for him and needed to get out. Whatever it was, it's going to hurt St. John's at the end of the day in terms of depth, which Mm -hmm. is something that, you know, they were really banking on this year is having a lot of depth. So right. at the end of the day it's going to come down to hurt St. John's it's hurting Mikey Dixon's ability to play elsewhere it just wasn't a good decision I think for for all parties involved but you never know you're not that not that player so you don't really know you know being removed from the situation what it was like for him Right exactly All right so moving on Alex St Saint- Syracuse has uh been Doing pretty well as of late.
1: Yeah, turned it around a little bit, you know. Took those two back-to-back losses at the Carrier Dome, which hurt because that dropped them obviously out of the top 25, but they took it to the two teams that they were supposed to really take it to in uh, Arkansas State and the ever-so-popular St. Bonaventure. Gotta love the Um, And then they had a really nice road win against Notre Dame, so anytime you start your conference play on the road and get a win against a team that's historically very good, that's going to be a huge, not only a huge boost to your ego, but a huge boost to your um, stock as far as top 25 and your strength of schedule and how the uh, committee is going to look at you come tournament time. So it's been nice to see that they've, taking those two losses to heart and really started playing as everybody thought they were going to be playing at the beginning of the year and were playing at the beginning of the year, but then they fell off a little bit, you know. So um, it, it'll it be good, interesting to see how that, that win at Notre Dame really breaks down in the future. But um, touching on the St. Bonaventure game a little bit, Ty's Battle finally had a Ty's Battle game. He played the way he was expected to play. He didn't miss a a shot from the field the entire game. He went 8-for-8, scored 21 points, um, created his own shots, really played well, um, played hard, and led Syracuse to a a route of St. Bonaventure, which was nice to see in terms of them not playing down to somebody for once because historically in the past, they've kept those games relatively close. I mean, they played Cornell earlier this year, and they only won by eight. So that is a bright sign. And then they took that even further, and then they went into that Notre Dame game and played with a lot of confidence. I didn't catch the first half, but I caught the second half, and Elijah Hughes is is, is the best consistent player I've said it a couple times, but he's playing, like, the most consistent scorer on their entire team. He put up 22 points, had a big night from the three-point line, and that was a big part of why they were able to pull that game out was because they didn't get to the free throw line. I think they shot, like, four free throws the entire game. Um, And the last couple came in the last minute or so of regulation. So they were able to hit. Consistent threes in that game. Um, Elijah Hughes played huge, and the the big three of Syracuse now to me is Hughes, Brissett, and Battle, and all three of them played very well in that game. So it's, it was a good win. It was a nice to see that Syracuse is actually coming around, um, and that they were able to close that game out because they were down at halftime. So,
0: yeah, they, uh, Like you mentioned previously, um, I think for Syracuse, it was huge for them to get three guys going at once. Mm -hmm. You know, like you said, Battle, Brissette, and Hughes, because a lot of the time, previously, you know, in their offensive struggles, one of them was getting going, but the rest of the team was kind of falling asleep. You'd get a little contribution here and there, but nothing consistent. And I think what you mentioned is huge for them. Now, another thing, though, that, that you did touch on was the lack of getting to the line. I think, for a team that does struggle offensively, that's something they need to work on, because if you're if you're able to get those free looks from the line like that, that can carry your offense when you're having a struggling night. And I think Absolutely. if Syracuse can continue to work on that, as well as have contributions from Battle Brissett, and Hughes throughout ACC play, we're looking at another you know tournament team. You know, maybe off the bubble again, but still possibly getting that's, there. Well, what else is new? You yeah. Know. <laughs> But
1: that being said, it it's not it's not common for to see um, Brissette and Battle not get to the line very often. So I don't expect that to be a very common thread. But um, I don't think there were many fouls called in this game whatsoever. Like it looks like yeah, it looks like Syracuse went to the line five times. Notre Dame went seventeen times. So it's not like any one team was shooting. 50 free throws, you know, so. um, It just looks like it was more of a, a clean game than anything else. But, yeah, you're right. Anytime a team can have a tendency to struggle, especially against a good defense, like they're going to see in the ACC, in a Virginia, in a Duke, um, getting to the line is going to be very, very important.
0: All right, so. Um something I wanted to touch on earlier that me and Alex were discussing was what's going on with Tyus Battle in terms of his draft stock because the last projections I've seen and you've seen, he's either been yep. at the end of the second round or not included at all. Whereas yep. now Brissett, as Alex mentioned previously, is being included in into the NBA draft, you know, mm-hmm. perspective list. So what do you think is the right move here if you're battle Brissett, you know, going forward with the, with the orange, right? Um, you know,
1: I don't expect O'Shea Brissett to come out this season only because NBA scouts are going to see that he his offensive game is not fine tuned. It's not ready for that the pro level. Yes, it can. Uh, he can go to the G League and he can definitely. Cultivate a little bit more of a, a stylistic offensive game because right now he's very raw. Still, he goes based mostly off of his athleticism versus his skill for the most part. He does show some uh, times here and there of some nice post moves and um, being able to create his own shot, but more often than not, he's just trying to bully people and use his size as opposed and his athleticism as opposed to um skill which we see the the league trending towards now um even at somebody his size you need to be able to create your own shot in order to be a successful member of a pro team and i think a good example of this is jeremy grant so jeremy grant when he was at syracuse was an athletic freak he was a monster he was dunking on people he was a top 10 a top ten sports center highlight reel. But that being said, he spent a lot of time in the G League. He spent a lot of time um, on the bench. He spent a lot of time with very few minutes on pro teams. And I think a lot of that is because he came out early and he didn't stay his entire course. So I equate that to the the Brissette conversation where, Syracuse players in general have a tendency to come out a little bit earlier than I think they should. But him in particular, I do not believe that he should strictly because his game isn't ready for it yet. Now, on the battle end of things, that's a different story. Ty's battle has all the skill in the world to be able to play in the league. He is a shot maker. He is a playmaker. He's a big-time scorer. But I think what's happening is scouts are not seeing that side of Ty's battle this season, or at least not seeing it consistently enough to make him as high of a draft projected draft pick as everybody expected him to be. I don't know what your take is on that,
0: but... I agree, that's though, I with it. the with the consistency that that mm-hmm. is definitely hurting him. I think I agree with you. I think Tyus Battle has the potential to play at the next level, and I think he will at some point in time make it to the next level. Absolutely, it's just a matter of if he's going to be consistent or not, and I think right. that's what's currently scaring away scouts. But at the same time, these are just midseason projections. Look at Dante Divincenzo. I mean, right? No one projected him to go to the to the league last year. I mean, I, don't, I didn't even see it happening really before the Big East tournament. <laughs> yep. You know, and then he shined in the tournament. He shined in the NCAA tournament and went on to win the national championship. And that that's, happens, you know. So mm-hmm. I think anything is possible. But I think I agree with you 100%. I think Tyus has that capability already. It's just mm-hmm. bringing it out game after game. Um, same with Brissett, really like you said, I think it's a lot of raw talent. I think he also displays some inconsistencies, but I, I don't see him having that playmaking ability like like you mentioned with Tyus Battle.
1: Right. The only thing
0: that Brissett really brings
1: to the table on top of his athleticism is his tenacity and he's a monster rebounder. Like that yeah. guy will out jump everybody to get the ball. He will come down with five to five plus rebounds every game, you know, He's not afraid to get in there, he's not afraid to get after the ball, and he's a very aggressive rebounder, which not so important when it comes to the draft, you know. That's not what uh coaches and scouts are gonna be looking for. But it is some it is something in his tool belt that he does show and he is able to bring that at least, you know.
0: All right. So moving on we're going back to the 716 where buffalo had two road wins since the last time we spoke with mm-hmm. wins over canisius and eastern michigan to start mac play so just breaking down a little bit from that canisius win one takeaway that i had that's a bit negative for them is that slow start you you can't be doing that against a team like canisius mm-hmm. you know that's a game you have to start and finish ahead of them you can't Absolutely. let you can't you know sleep on any opponent especially in a very deep mac this year, mm-hmm. um, you know i mean they they did go on a twenty four to three run to clean things up in the first half uh, extending into the second half, and that allowed u b to take a a pretty easy eighty seven seventy two win uh in the across town rivals um, in what was basically a home game for them right um, you know you had a big night be- uh, between Perkins Harris, and c j in that game. Perkins and Harris were both a board shy of getting a double-double. Um, you know, I mean, it was a status quo game for them. But at the same time, when you start slow, you know, there's always a the chance to just continue playing slow. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's it really continued on into their road win against Eastern Michigan as well, which uh, was on the other night, Friday night, at a pretty odd start time, you know, 9 p.m. Eastern, I guess 10 p.m., for uh or 8 p.m for central so i don't know if that contributed to the sluggish start in that game but you know it's it's starting to you know compound and and be a trend for them and that can't be something nato is going to be happy with
1: yeah absolutely and it's not something that you want to see especially coming into the start of conference play because they can't I mean, taking a loss here or there in conference play isn't going to kill them, but they want to come in first in that conference because <laughs> if something funky happens down the line and they don't end up in the top 25, the best way that they're going to get into the tournament, I don't think that they're going to be held out of the tournament. I think that they've played well enough to the point this year where the committee is going to give them a, like a probably top 10 seed at this point. But that being said, you never want to take chances. You always want to put yourself in the best situation to win and the best way to get into the tournament is winning your conference and your conference tournament so exactly
0: and i think another thing to even look at is the mac is really good this year you know Mm -hmm. right now i think the mac is slated as uh above the a10 potentially you know right there with the american Mm -hmm. um which is something that hasn't happened in a while. You have a lot of talent in the MAC between Toledo, Ball State, Kent State, Central Michigan, Akron. It's it's a loaded mid-major conference this year. So anytime you start on the road especially slow like that, you know, you're putting yourself in the crosshairs for a potential loss and yeah, maybe one or two losses isn't going to hurt them, but if you start piling up losses like on a losing streak or something like that, you run the risk even though you had a great out of conference because of that stigma of being a mid-major, of being overlooked, you know. I mean, they dropped all the way from 14th to 20th, even though they beat Syracuse at the Dome that week, and they took an L from Marquette on the road, Mm -hmm. you know. So clearly the voters have some biases, regardless of how good Buffalo has been, you know, this year in general. Absolutely. So, you know, anytime you give them any sort of reason of a doubt, you're putting yourself in jeopardy there. Mm-hmm. But what I, I, you know, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer the whole time here. Montel McRae in that Eastern Michigan game, career high 18 points, seven rebounds. I mean, the guy was on fire. Him and Perkins. Yeah. Perkins went for 15, six, two, and one in that game. I mean, the the big men were getting it done when everyone else was showing some inability to shoot the three ball, which to me is is showing remarkable. Uh, ability to adapt in-game when, you know, their main method of, of scoring in the three-ball isn't falling. right? And that's, that just shows you how well-coached they are and how smart they are on the court. You know, they have very high IQ behind CJ, Harris, um, Carruthers, Jordan, mm-hmm. all those guys. So it just shows you how this senior-laden squad they might falter at first but if they can't win by shooting the 3 they'll win in other ways and i think that's a huge takeaway from these past two road wins that they've had that you know they're not going to lie down absolutely um and you know continuing with our trend i think it's important to note like similar to st johns in that you're getting balanced scoring now with Buffalo. You know, it's not yeah, just CJ true. scoring ridiculous amounts of points. You know, he gets all that praise for that forty-something point game he had against West Virginia. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the rest of this team can score, and if anything, that's evident in McRae dropping eighteen the other night. So, and you have a lot of talent coming off that bench as well. You know, so yeah, true. I think I think Buffalo. You know, it's a little stumbling point for them not coming out with all that they got from the gate. But I think. If anything, it's a wake up call for them. And I think there's enough firepower on this bull squad to certainly take the Mac, if not, you know, go deep into the tournament and make a good run. Absolutely. Yeah, and and even so, you know, they still won those games.
1: Yeah. So it's not like they are they're really in danger of letting down, but you know, you just always want to be careful and you never want to put yourself in a situation where you could
0: lose it. So Exactly. Exactly. Um some other takeaways, though, that I did have was that once again, the zone kind of caused a little bit of problems for them. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of interesting that the zone is causing them problems considering, you know, ordinarily how well they shoot the three. Sure. As, as well as how well they, they share the ball. You know, you'd think they'd be able to slice up the zone, but that wasn't true really against early against Eastern Michigan and against Syracuse this year. So you got to imagine he's Co- coach Nate Oates is going to be working on the zone. A lot more in practice going forward because absolutely, you know, if it's worked before, you know you're going to see it again like, mm-hmm. against other teams' defenses. So, all right, and then just to close out our segment, go into matchups. St. John's is taking on Villanova at Villanova. Alex, what's your prediction? Um, I think this is going to be a
1: really good game. I think that Villanova has not performed to the level that people have expected them to. But that being said, they still return a decent amount of the team that won the championship. And I think that they're going to play St. John's pretty well. Um, It looks like right now ESPN is projecting St. John's to lose. And it it says this is is ESPN, not me. It's a 72% chance of Villanova taking the W. So that being said, I think that I'm going to stick with your boys. I think that I'm going to give them the credit that they des- have shown that they deserve so far. But this is going to be a very, very highly contested matchup. And I'm going to say uh, low 70s. Let's go 75-70
0: St. John's. Yeah, I'm actually pretty close to you on this one. I think it's going to be a a real barn burner. I got... St. John's over Nova, 80-77. I'm thinking game-winning three from none other than Shimori Ponds. Pulling, right. pulling up in Gillespie's face. That's how All I think right. this game is going to end <laughs> down in Philly. Moving on to Buffalo versus Toledo. I think this is going to be another great game. And I think that Nate Oates is really going to get on his team to start and finish this game. I'm I'm thinking Buffalo over Toledo,
1: 82-72. I had something similar. Um, I think... I completely agree with you. I don't see them falling down this early in the MAC, so I think that Buffalo is going to take the win. I'm going to say Buffalo, eighty, eighty-one. Uh, Toledo, seventy, seventy-two.
0: All right, and last but not least, Cuse versus Clemson. You know, Clemson's uh, coming off that Duke loss. Mm-hmm. I still have Cuse beating Clemson, but I think. Hughes is going to score, you know, somewhere similar to against they did against how they did against the, uh, the Irish. I got 71-66 over Clemson.
1: Yeah, I also, I agree. I think that um Clemson is historically a decent team in the ACC. They're not as good as they have been in recent years, so I think Syracuse should get this win, especially at home and they're going to be wanting to make up for those two losses that they had at home earlier in the season. So I think that Syracuse is going to take this one. I'd say Syracuse, 65, Clemson, uh, 60.
0: All right, and that does it. I'll leave Alex to uh, close out the rest of the podcast with our Bill Walton quote of the week.
1: So uh, Mr. Bill Walton, the one and only, was
0: talking about who he believes
1: should coach the UCLA Bruins. Uh, And his exact quote, as I recall, is... He was, well, let's give a little context. It was Dave Pash who, Bill Walton and Dave Pash have a history of being very, very strange together. But Bill Walton mentioned that he thinks that um, Barack Obama should be the coach of the UCLA Bruins, which was super strange to hear. Um, and then he managed to come up with the quote I'm sticking with Barack Obama until he says no.
0: There you go, folks. Barack Obama to UCLA. You heard it there first from Bill (laughs) Walton. All right, that's going to do it for the podcast this week. Thanks for listening. Uh, Please like, comment, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you can get notified. Um, Follow us on Twitter, at NoVertical. And let us know if you guys have any suggestions for anything you guys want us to cover going forward. Thanks for listening, guys.
1: Have a good one, guys.